Hello everyone, this is uh, Wireless Future. I'm Eric Larsson and I'm here as always with my colleague Emil Björnsson. Hello Emil, how are you today? I am good. I'm calling in from my home for the first time in this podcast now during the COVID-19 epidemic. In the midst of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so, uh, great to have you Emil. Um, the topic for today's uh, discussion is going to be millimeter wave communications. And um, I have been trying to understand where we stand with millimeter wave technology. And um, I specifically have been rather confused about the terminology itself. So which bands is it really that we call millimeter wave? So uh, I think uh, that what people are particularly calling millimeter wave in general is from like 30 gigahertz up to 300 gigahertz. So that is the, when we are sending frequencies uh, that have a wavelength that is from one centimeter down to one millimeter. So you can essentially measure them from 10 millimeters down to one millimeter. But then, as you were saying, there's also confusion because typically what we say uh, that we're using today is from 28 gigahertz, slightly below, up to maybe 60, 70, 75 gigahertz. Right. So uh, what kind of frequency would you really, do we really need to reach? I mean, for the wavelength to be a millimeter long, uh, that would be uh, 300 gigahertz. Is that correct? Yeah, that's so 300 that gigahertz. Uh, and that is sort of Three, the end of the radio gigahertz. spectrum. Yeah, right. It is, right? So what we really call millimeter wave is rather a centimeter wave then. I mean, 30 gigahertz is a centimeter, right? Yeah. So uh, I think the idea is that uh, you can measure this in, in millimeters. So from yeah, 10 right. and downwards. Right, but below 30 gigahertz, do we still speak about millimeter waves? Or wh where is really the transition point between millimeter waves and lower frequency bands? Yes, so when people are talking about 5G now, there's uh, essentially two frequency ranges. Frequency range one, or FR1, which is the conventional one, uh, the low bands below one gigahertz, and then one to six yeah. gigahertz. And then there is sort of a jump up to the new frequency range, FR2, uh, which is from yeah. like 28 gigahertz, and then up to... Yeah, probably will reach 75 or something like that uh, during six. Uh, right, so either either below six or above 28. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, so there's nothing in between them that would be like suitable for wireless comms? Or so the, why is there it are definitely some frequency ranges there as well, but uh, it seems like so far there is no access to them. But I've heard mm. people talking about that maybe uh, around 10, 15 gigahertz, there could be some bands to be utilized in the future as well. Yeah, it seems to be a lot of spectrum there in principle, right? So what are all those bands used for? Do we know that? I mean, they go between the 6 gigahertz and the 30 or 28 gigahertz? Oh, the, there is all kinds of uh, uh, application. And these millimeter wave bands have been used for a long time for, say, satellites are uh, using them yeah. to communicate. And uh, in the wireless networks, we have been using these fixed backhaul links. When base stations are talking to each other, you might have seen these big round antennas that are uh, pointing not down to the earth, but uh, perpendicularly mm. to the earth. And that is sort mm. of aiming at another base station. So those ones are sometimes using millimeter wave frequencies as well. Uh, but then there are, yeah, I guess, yeah, positioning I and military applications, all kinds of applications could be in these ranges. Right, they occupy all the spectrum, yeah. So now all this talking about 5G, I mean, is 5G the same as millimeter waves or does 5G imply millimeter waves in any way? 
No, I think the, the new thing is that you can use millimeter wave in this uh, standard as well. But then unfortunately, there has been sort of a impression that it, 5G is only about millimeter wave. Uh, and that is some a kind of myth that is propagated still now when uh, like the, the iPhone is showing up and using 5G and a lot of other uh, in Sweden, for example, a lot of operators now that are turning on 5G in this part of the year. And then uh, you can hear media talking about that, oh, real 5G isn't there because they're not using millimeter wave. Because uh, that's what to be the, the issue here, that uh, the only new thing is that now we can use millimeter wave in addition to the conventional frequencies. Right, so 5G is both uh, lower frequencies and millimeter wave. Yeah, so they essentially divide into this low band uh, below one gigahertz, the mid band between one and six, and the high bands, which are millimeter waves. And I think most of the deployments so far have been in the mid bands, and then in the low bands are also a few base stations that are sort of uh, using both 4G and 5G uh, together. Okay, so all the deployments of 5G, most of the deployments are in the mid-band between 1 and 6 gigahertz. They were normally referred to as lower frequencies. And so millimeter wave is something that's more like coming for the future then? In most countries, it is like that. Then there are some exceptions. For example, in the US, there is the operator Verizon that have invested a lot in using millimeter wave already from the beginning in uh, 5G. But uh, otherwise, mm. I think sort of if you read the marketing material from Ericsson and Nokia and Huawei and so what they are recommending is essentially that you should uh, first deploy uh, 5G in the midband, like 3.5 gigahertz, and then uh, you should take your low band spectrum and share it between 4G and 5G. And that's the next step, you might add a millimeter wave to your network and then eventually right, take everything from 4G and turn it into 5G. Yeah, right, I see. Okay. So, 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 I mean, all this millimeter wave technology or, or the idea even to use like higher frequencies above, say, 28 gigahertz, because they were, you said that the millimeter wave spectrum kind of starts, right? I mean, a centimeter of wavelength. Is that a new concept or how new is it? I mean, for how long has the idea to use millimeter waves for communications been around? So using it for communication is nothing new. So uh, I think, for example, the satellites, they're using what they call a K-band, which is like 26 to 40 gigahertz. And then there are fixed backhaul links I was mentioning from all the way from 6 up to 80 gigahertz. So there are some different particular frequencies mm. there. Uh, so I think the new use case is really the hope that you can use this also for the end users uh, to communicate with their phones. And then the particular challenge is to do it when people are moving around. Right, so mobility is really the new thing here. That I mean, it's one thing I suppose to have like a dish antenna or something that's fixed and, and calibrated in its mechanical orientation to point the beam exactly in the right direction as compared to having a mobile that's moving around and you need to track the channel, right? So is that like the new aspect of millimeter wave technology really that's entering 5G then? I think that the, uh, yes, that is one of the, the new things here. And uh, then, uh, yeah, there are a number of different aspects to this. Um, so um, uh, I think the first application will still be in this type of fixed uh, cases where you are using this ones to deliver fixed broadband access to people's homes. And in those cases, it's also like you put up a an antenna at your home's roof and then you still have a fixed link. But um, 
then yes, uh, I think the, the truly new feature is to try to use this uh, at the street level, put up base station there on utility poles that are using millimeter wave frequencies and then to communicate with uh, users uh, that are, are there. Right, right. So, so what is the but what is really the main benefit? I mean, why would we want to go to these high frequency bands? It seems like complicated because the wavelength shrinks, right? So mobility becomes more challenging, and I've also had the impression that the electronics is much more difficult to develop and and produce. Why would we want to explore these bands at all? So the I think the essentially the only reason is that there is so much more bandwidth that is available there that haven't been utilized for communication, uh, at least to the end users in the past. Uh, I mean, if you're communicating down at 3.5 gigahertz band, uh, uh, you can maybe find 100 megahertz to be utilized for wireless mm. communications. And then if you go up into the millimeter ranges, you can get 10 times that. And why is that mm. useful? Well, when you are communicating, the data rate that you can achieve and the good conditions is proportional to the bandwidth that you're utilizing. So the more bandwidth so, you have, so, the, so, hey, wait, the, the faster mean, you can yeah. transmit. Right, so you're, you're saying that the data rate that we can transmit is proportional to the bandwidth that we have allocated, right? But see, here's the thing that, you know, I, I, we have this, from college, this formula, right? Shannon Hartley formula that states that the capacity of a wireless link is the bandwidth times log of one plus the signal-to-noise ratio. And the signal-to-noise ratio itself scales as the, the, the received power divided by the bandwidth. So when you increase the bandwidth, isn't it that you also decrease the signal-to-noise ratio then? I mean, in other words, if you really want to make use of the increased bandwidth, you have to scale the power proportionally. Is that so? If you want to make really good use of the bandwidth, yes. Uh, you can always add more bandwidth and you will get a slightly better capacity. But if you are not increasing your power uh, while you are adding more bandwidth into the system, you will eventually just reduce your signal-to-noise ratio by... If you have 10 times more bandwidth, you reduce the signal-to-noise ratio by 10 times and then you get not so much benefit of it. So uh, it's really about either using more power or have a more directive transmission using more antennas, as we have talked about in previous episodes, mm. or you just cut down on the range, so you are not trying to serve as large areas anymore. And then you have stronger right, power. Right, so power here means received power, i exactly. say. So, so this means that, I mean, to maintain a spectral efficiency, because that's what really, I suppose, a concern about it. We want to maintain a, a given number of bits per second per hertz, then we would have to make sure that the received power is increased in proportion to the bandwidth. So if we tenfold the bandwidth, then we also have to make sure to tenfold the received power. And you're saying that this could be accomplished through better beam forming with more antennas. It could be accomplished through shortening the, the, the range or be accomplished through increasing the transmitted power itself or a combination of the three. Is that correct? Yeah. And then I think that people who are building these type of systems, they are not really hoping that they should be able to exactly provide the same high spectral efficiency as in the lower bands, but to actually say, okay, we can live with the slightly reduction in there if we can use much more bandwidth instead. 
Right, I see. So allow some reduction in the spectral efficiency, but still you would have to make sure that the received power doesn't drop too much, right? Yeah, I mean, because if you, if you have some power, like a watt or whatever, and you spread it over 10 times as much bandwidth, then the power per, per, per frequency unit will be only 10%. Um, so what are the implications in terms of transmission range here? Uh, what, what range are we really talking about for 5G millimeter wave? I mean, I thought for lower frequencies that we could cover like cells of 30, 40, 50 kilometer radius more or less. I mean, that's what like even early digital systems like GSM do. But for millimeter wave, how, how long transmission ranges can we cover there? So that depends on what the actual use case are. When it comes to this fixed wireless access to people's home, I have heard that uh, there are the hopes that you can, in 28 gigahertz band, have a five, uh, five kilometer radius uh, that you can serve. You can serve a lot of homes there with mm. this technology. Then you have very directive antennas. You make sure that you have line of sight conditions. And then mm. you can perhaps uh, deliver... 100 megabit per second to all the homes and many of them more than that uh, but then you are sort of spending maybe 500 megahertz of bandwidth on that or at least hundreds of it so the spectral efficiency is fairly low but you can still mm-hmm. uh, deliver something that is like broadband access uh, right so, so the key here is really to have highly directed transmission then with, with, with lots of antennas right so yeah. but then with mobility it might only be uh, like 50 meters in an outdoor scenario in the city. Yeah, I see. Okay, but now, I mean, compensating for the, uh, say, um, now if we increase the bandwidth, we need more received power. And one way of compensating for that is to add more antennas. So, so do you make the beam more directive? Mm. Is there a limit where this won't work anymore? Or is there like anything else that one would have to consider here? At start, you would like to have multiple antennas on both the transmitter and the receiver. And that sort of also makes it much more complicated to learn how to point these beams if people are moving around. So that's sort of why millimeter wave have been mainly used for almost fixed scenarios for or satellites that are moving very slowly. because you have this sort of this directive view and you need to look around and uh, uh, find the right place to to direct your signals. Right, so really measuring the uh, the channel accurately enough in mobility is a main limitation here, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. that makes perfect sense. And one I thing think. To, to, to think about as well when we talked about if you are trying to get away with reducing your power, have a lower SNR, you sort of get hit twice, both when it comes mm. to uh, actually transmitting your data and also when it comes to yeah. learning the channels. Because if you have worse conditions mm. there, uh, you also get a worse positioning of your beam and then you get, get hit from that as well. So it sort of deteriorates quickly mm. under mobility if you have power SNR. Yeah, so just like a squaring effect, that's what you're saying. You get hit twice. First, because the reference signals, the quality of the reference signal scales proportional to the power, and then because the, the actual transmit power itself reduces. So, yeah, that's an important thing. So here's another thought that, you know, by when we increase the, the size of the array, right, we add more and more antennas, then we can make the the uh, array gain larger so we can compensate better and better for um, say other losses or we can focus more power at the receiver so that way increase the effectively received signal to noise ratio but as we increase more and more antennas we also increase the spatial resolution i suppose so that 
if we are in a system that is nominally limited by interference, and I would think that a lot of systems are, possibly even at millimeter wave, I don't know, but if we increase the number of antennas, then we would also increase channel orthogonality so that we would reduce an interference. Uh, is there such an effect? Yeah, there's definitely such an effect. And if you would be comparing one system being down in the mid-band and then the millimeter wave band, then uh, what will happen then as you go up in frequency is that since the wavelength is smaller, the signals are sort of smaller and it's easier for you to separate mm. signals coming from different directions. Yeah. And uh, by having then more observations of the signals, uh, uh, if you're comparing the same area, you would squeeze in few mm. antennas in the mid band or many antennas yeah. in the high band and uh, then you're yeah. able to separate the signals better. So you might be able to get away with not using as large areas uh, as you would need in the lower bands if you're interference limited mm. because you're then able to separate mm. them in a better way. Mm. So because of the sheer increase in, in spatial resolution that we get through adding more and more antennas here. So that has really two benefits, right? I mean, one is that we increase the array gain so we can focus more power exactly to the spot where the receiver is located. And the other is that we improve orthogonality. If we multiplex to multiple users at the time, then we'll also reduce an interference level. Yeah, so say that we would set um, up uh, a system like this in a lecture hall, for example, and you have like 100 students gather in a room as we uh, have been used to in the past, yeah. then uh, you will probably be interference limited in, in an environment like that because yeah. the short ranges, a lot of people there, and in those cases, millimeter wave will both give you more bandwidth and you could, mm. with a larger number of antennas, be able to separate the use as much better, even if the size of the arrays are not mm. as large as in mm. the past. Right, so, so, so more bandwidth and more multiplexing to more users at the same time. Wow, um, that sounds like a, a, a real win-win. Um, so, so what is this good for? I mean, what are the foreseen use cases of millimeter wave technology for 5G? So I, I think one of the first things are going to be this fixed wireless access, particularly in countries where broadband access with wires uh, have been fairly expensive. I think in, in Sweden we have been lucky because it's been subsidized by the government that, to get fibers to your home. But in countries when that is not the case, then this could be a, a way to get better wireless access to people in rural areas uh, because it's so uh, expensive to dig one fiber cable to every home. Then the next thing would then be to have this kind of mobility scenarios uh, in, over short ranges, uh, both in a lecture hall and uh, I think that Verizon is putting up in like 60 major cities in the US. And there they are targeting this sort of, you put them up on utility poles along the streets. And uh, in the US you, you are lucky because you have sort of very straight uh, roads. So if you put them to point along the road, then uh, as long as the signal power is high enough, you, you actually are not having problems that the signal needs to go around corners or anything like that. Then I think a third option is also that we have been utilizing this frequencies for backhauling between base stations in the past. And now we can sort of share uh, these resources between having base station talking to each other and base station talking to users. And in that way, we don't need to have separate systems for these two different things. Yeah, right. So you're, you're saying basically, that, I mean, one use case is to close the digital divide and particularly on countryside and less developed areas where folks might not have fiber internet access to instead put up millimeter wave 
base stations and an access point so that homes could get internet access through millimeter wave technology. And the second would be like more direct access in, in mobile environments. So you had like a lecture hall or something where folks are moving around with their laptops and, and the system tracks their location and beamforms adaptively to them. It's an interesting point here with the, the I mean, the, the more straight are the streets, the further you, the signal can go, right? Because I guess the problem with millimeter wave is that once it, the wave hits something, then it'll, it'll, it'll bounce, but it's not going to creep much around the corners. So you won't see like the same diffusion-based kind of coverage that we have in lower bands, but you'd rather see like spots that are covered and spots that are just all black. Is that is that a correct understanding? Yeah, this is... Uh sort of a way of, of picturing it. There, there is definitely a, a gradual change between what we're used to, that radio waves can bend partial around corner, and what is also yeah. used to when we are using like a flashlight and we light on the yeah. corner of a wall and we see that no light is bending around the corner. So there is something yeah. in between there that you, you are getting less bendiness of the signals. Yeah. And that way right. <laughs> uh, you are having more complication when it comes to actually covering uh, areas so you would like to yeah. for mobile scenarios to identify places where there is a lot of people where the conventional networks mm. cannot provide the capacity that you need so i mean for the layman is that like a valid analogy that it's like you're walking in the forest and the sun is shining then there's diffuse light from everywhere right and you can see everything clearly but then you walk at night when it's all dark and you just have a flashlight and you, you can only illuminate a, a precise spot where you're going to put your feet and so that is like lower frequencies, like illuminated by the sun versus millimeter waves is like illuminated by the flashlight. Is that a valid way to think about this? Yeah, I think that's a valid way of thinking about it. And uh, if you have, uh, are you sending one signal beam, then it's like having one flashlight. If you have uh, a base station that is capable of saying having four signal beams, it's like having four different flashlights that you can move around and point in different directions at the same time. Right, right. So... So, so let's talk a little more about physical limitations. So I read somewhere that the path loss is higher at millimeter wave bands. Is that true? Yes and no, uh, I would say. So it's, uh, it's sort of, <laughs> it's a bit complicated because uh, there are certain things that are definitely are true. And that was how we already touched upon that you might have worse coverage. But there are also certain things that are often uh, misconceptions. Uh, so... Uh, if path loss means everything that we are losing between transmitter and receiver, uh, or what fraction of the transmitted power that we get to receive, then in, yeah, in most cases you are losing more. But it's not like when the signal propagating through free air that you are, are being attenuated more. Uh, it's exactly the same thing. And uh, the, sort of the danger is that there is something called the freeze propagation formula that is telling you how much of the transmitted power that's being received when we are uh, operating at different frequencies and over different ranges when we are, there is nothing in between, just free air. And in that formula, if you assume that the transmitter and the receiver have um, the uh, same directivity irrespective of the frequency, then you're losing. 
because uh, mm. the size of the receiver will then shrink with the frequency. But if you are instead assuming that uh, you have a directivity that's increasing in the sense that you have uh, the same size of transmitter, same size of receiver, irrespective of the frequency, it's the opposite effect. You get more directivity on both sides and you can then uh, make sure that they are pointing much better. And that is essentially what the uh, backhaul links are utilizing. Mm. So what you're saying is that, I mean, a correct way of phrasing uh, this, these claims about path loss is that, well, the, pers- the path loss per se is no different than millimeter wave bands from any other band, right? However, if we put up an antenna, say a receiving antenna, let's talk about, say, a dipole that we put up here, and there is an impinging field strength from a transmitter somewhere, then the power that this receiving antenna will be able to extract from the field is proportional to the the effective area of the antenna. And the effective area of the antenna in turn scales with the wavelength. So is that a correct way of stating this point? Yeah, that's a correct way of stating it. So uh, when it comes to just the receiver, you would like it to have uh, the same size uh, effective area irrespective of uh, the frequency range in order to make sure that you're capturing Mm -hmm. the same amount of energy. Think about yeah, it like and a solar panel. That's why you need a race. Yeah, yeah. That's why you need either you need a, like a parabolic reflector or something, or you need an array of antennas, right? I mean, to get this effective area, because the effective area of an antenna, say a dipole, is pretty much proportional to the to the wavelength. So when you scale the wavelength down, then the effective area scales down, and you need more antennas to cover the same physical area, uh, and 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 to receive the same power as you had nominally. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then uh, if you're on transmitter side, are also making sure that that if that area is is the same uh, irrespective of frequency you get more directive signals if it's also scaling down as you were saying if you use a dipole uh, that Mm. is made for different frequencies well in that case uh, you are getting the same type of effects it's uh, it's the same radiation pattern Uh, so it's really right so this is actually yeah so it's actually a fairly f- simple physical relation, right? So, so how about all this uh, blocking and penetration loss uh, that we have at millimeter wave? Is that worse than uh, other frequencies? Yes, so that is sort of where the main difference is appearing. Uh, and that is why it's actually generally true to say that you have a worth as a path loss conditions. Mm. Uh, so uh, it, it's always problematic to... Uh, sort of make measurements of re- in re- real environments and figuring out what is happening. Yeah, I was looking into some different measurements around that to f- try to get a feeling about what is happening. And it's also like if you're transmitting a signal into a building and then you measure it at the inside, in addition to measuring the propagation losses through the wall, you also are getting sort of multi-paths. Signal come from different places, so you measure one place at one frequency, mm. you might get a deep fade, and another frequency will mm. have something that is a good condition. But mm. uh, my general impression from, from reading the literature there is that... Uh, I would say that the outdoor to indoor losses, if you are going from a 5 to like 30 gigahertz band, is mm. 10 dB larger. Uh, so mm-hmm. you will sort of only get one-tenth of the power through if you're going up uh, in mm. the frequency. Right, which means that you would, I mean, to compensate for that, you would need either 10 times higher transmit power, right? Or you need 10 times more antennas to do your beamforming. Yeah. Uh, and then this yeah. is also material dependent. Uh, so if you have a newly built uh, 
building that is sort of built as in Sweden to make sure that the heat stays inside in the yeah. winter, for example, then uh, those materials might be equally bad for all frequencies, yeah. essentially. So I, I looked also at 3DPP who is making the, the standards and their models for these type of things is that when it comes to a concrete building, there is a huge uh, dependence on the frequency. Uh, so oh. Uh, higher frequencies you're losing much more while if you have like glass or wood material then the frequency dependence is rather small right so you're saying that millimeter waves outer to indoor might not be for cold climate countries then because of the thick walls and and and, and all the windows and all that yeah yeah so how about this blocking through humans i mean i heard that if you have a millimeter wave transmitter and then you just put your hand uh in between of the say say there's a line of sight path between this little device and the, the, the base station, then you block through, you lose many dB approximately. How much do we lose if you put your hand? Do, do, do we know that? Uh, that is also something that one could sort of look into various kind of uh, measurements too. And I mean, the basic effects are something that you see yourself if you just put your hands over your eyes and you are yeah. sort of, maybe if you have a very strong light, you can see the difference between if it's uh, uh, dark or, or light outside, but uh, yeah. m most things are disappearing. But I found from the New Year, uh, New York University, they have made some measurements in the 60 gigahertz range. And in different scenarios there, they saw losses from 15 to 40 decibels. So in some cases, you are getting like one twentieth part, and sometimes you are losing mm. almost everything. Yeah, forty dB is a lot. It's ten thousand times, right? I mean, it's like yeah. going from a, a a transmitter with a hundred milliwatt, which is something you could draw with use with a small battery, up to a kilowatt. Kilowatt is like a, a space heater fan. I mean, that's, that's huge, right? It's no way you could transmit so much power uh, from from a. a uh, uh, base station. Yeah, then we were always uh, having large path losses in wireless. So if you're close to the base station, you might have yeah. uh, minus 60 decibels. If you're far away, you yeah. might have minus 110. And that's the 50 yeah. decibel range. So it may be if you're close to the base station and you put your hand over the antenna, it might still work. Uh, you will just have bad signal quality. But if yeah. you are far away, it won't work at all. Right, that's a good point. So you're saying that the like dynamic range of the path loss in in a cell or whatever might easily span, I mean, 40 dB or more, and then well, a 40 dB penetration loss could be acceptable if you're really, really close to the to the access point. But as soon as you move away a little bit, then it's just gonna completely kill the signal. Yeah. Hmm. So let's talk a little bit about technological limitations. So where does technology stand? I mean, for for obviously for lower frequencies. Wireless transceiver technology is extremely mature, right? And, and particularly with, with MIMO arrays and there are now off-the-shelf products that do massive MIMO with hundreds of antennas. But for millimeter waves, where does technology stand? So there are commercial products now. So when it comes to sort of mobile terminals, then I think last year, 2019, in the beginning of the year, there were the first products being sold for 5G. And... Uh, I think over the year, I don't know exactly when, but some of these products were supporting millimeter wave as well. But then it was typically like, if you want to have millimeter wave antennas, you need to pay $100 extra. Uh, now, just uh, some weeks ago, the iPhone 12 was released, the first 5G phone there. And uh, if you buy it in any part of the world, except in the US, there is no millimeter wave, but uh, yeah. they have millimeter wave antennas in the US version. I don't know exactly how that is affecting the, uh, the the price there, 
But uh, uh, talking yeah. about the blockage of the hand, in that phone, they have antennas at two locations. And I think that's sort of a typical mm-hmm. way of putting it out to avoid that. So they have on the back side and they have on the right hand side a small window through the metal. Uh, so they hope that you either mm-hmm. are blocking the back or uh, the side of it, but not both at the same time. Right, so you get some kind of diversity effect from having like two millimeter wave transceivers on the same, well, handheld in this case then. Well, that's amazing. So millimeter waves are like, it's really a technology that's coming on commercial products now then. Do we know? I mean, how, are, are these like small antenna arrays or what are the antenna arrangements yeah, on, the, on the handsets? It, Do we know that? It's small arrays. Uh, so uh, Qualcomm have their, some of their Snapdragon chips for building mobile phones on top of that are supporting these type of things. And I, I'm not entirely sure what kind of arrays uh, that they, uh, they have, to what extent you can actually mm. control them. Uh, I would guess that they have some kind of ability to... Uh, change their beams in a simple way. Right, to adapt. Yeah, Probably yeah. not well, as amazing. digital as uh, we are used to talking about in a massive MIME area. Right, it's not fully digital, you're saying. Yeah. So, I mean, because there has to be a way of handling mobility, right? It always seemed to me that, well, blocking obviously is a major issue, but mobility also be an issue because the wavelength is so short, so that you'd have to relearn the channel much more often than you have at lower frequencies. I mean, a millimeter waves than the, say, 28 gigahertz than the Wavelength is about a centimeter, so you move like a centimeter and your channel is changed completely and you'd have to relearn all your, uh, well, impulse responses and all that, right, to, to apply your beam forming. So is that the main limitation, the mobility, or, or how is this handled in these products? Do we know that? Uh, it is one of the limitations, and I think what is sort of saving uh, the people who are implementing something like this is that uh, we are not targeting a very complicated propagation environments. But if you only are having some kind of line of sight like situations, you, you mm. put up a base station on a utility pole, and then you walk along the street or you drive along the street there. Mm. Uh, once you have been able to uh, search around both on your handset and on the base station where to point the beam. Uh, then uh, you know that even if the channel is changing, uh, it, you hopefully are driving in a particular direction. And mm. uh, so you, for the one who's uh, developing the algorithms, you can try to make use of that. Right. So, you know, so, you, so basically what you're saying is that you have some prior knowledge about how the channel will change, right? I mean, it's like a little bit like a radar tracking an airplane uh, in the sky. That it, Well, we know that the airplane can't jump from one place in the sky to another. It will fly in some trajectory, so we can actually track it rather than to estimate its location and move from one second to the next. Is that how this works? Yeah, and I mean, satellite is a good example of that. Uh, most of the satellites are moving slowly over the sky and you know exactly what trajectory mm-hmm. you're going to have. And if you put this up on a base station, uh, a base station on a utility pole, then it's pointing in a particular direction and cars are probably driving towards it or away from it. Uh, and then mm-hmm. you can utilize that for fast moving. Mm-hmm. And if you're slowly moving, well, maybe it will be much easier if you're a pedestrian. Right. So, yeah, okay. So, you know, here, so here's an idea I'd like to test on you. I've always argued that the lower frequency spectrum is much more valuable than the higher bands and the higher and, and the millimeter waves bands in particular. And the reason I've argued this is that every time you double the wavelength, which means cutting the carrier frequency in half, right? So you creep down in carrier frequency, you increase the wavelength. So every time you double the wavelength, you double the channel coherence time. So you double the number of 
terminals that you could learn the channel to simultaneously and therefore you double the number of terminals that you could do spatial multiplexing to and therefore you also double the number of base station antennas that you would have like reasonably effective use of and uh, therefore you double like the, the spectral efficiency in aggregate because the, the, the spectral efficiency in aggregate scales proportionally as we know to, to how many terminals that we can multiplex assuming that we have enough transmitter antennas at the base station. Um, and some time ago I looked up like numbers on how much operators pay for spectrum and then there's a huge difference. I mean for there's an auction that was in 20, uh, let's see, 2015 at the 2 gigahertz band and the, the cost of a single hertz of spectrum there was almost $700. And then there was last year, or in fact this year, an auction at the 37 to 47, so that's really millimeter wave band, and the cost of a single hertz of spectrum there was only $2. So that felt like a real bargain. I mean, there is a 300 times difference in the value, the market value of a hertz of spectrum at lower bands compared to millimeter wave bands. Um, do you have any insight into this? I mean, why is the millimeter wave spectrum so cheap? Is it because we can't do this multiplexing or is it for, for um, uh, other reasons? Is it the bargain? I mean, is it time to buy millimeter wave spectrum now? So I, I think this uh, might be a good time to, to buy millimeter wave spectrum <laughs> for this price. I think the factor that you're describing is definitely something that will at least eventually be very important that uh, at the lower frequency ranges you are able to handle mobility better and you sort of it's not like one frequency band or the other that you but you would like to have all of them and then you can uh, try to offload some users that are not moving very much uh, to the millimeter wave band where you have coverage and then yeah. you're using other bands in other situations. But in, in addition to the argument that you had, uh, there are some other uh, things as well. One is that in the millimeter wave bands, there are a lot of spectrum. Uh, say that you have an auction mm. for one gigahertz of spectrum and then you have four mm. operators. Well, then they can easily get 250 megahertz each uh, and they don't need to overbid each other very much. So you're saying that there's just a surplus, I mean, there's more than enough for anyone who, who wants to buy a, a small chunk of megahertz up there, that's why it's so cheap. Yeah, and, and then it's also... Additionally, I mean, yeah, this is obviously, obviously mobility is an issue, right? I mean, and that argument to it, its extreme is really what I said, that if you want to do like heavy spatial multiplexing, then the lower frequencies, the easier. Um, uh, but you're saying that there's like a surplus of frequencies that for anyone to buy Will this remain? Can we spec? Would we speculate? I mean, will it remain forever that there is a surplus of millimeter wave spectrum, or will we, at some point in the future, uh, hit the say um, hit the transition or, or a point where that spectrum becomes as crowded as the lower frequencies are today? It, it might be that uh, at those frequency ranges. Uh... If you have twice the amount of uh, bandwidth or not, it might not make a super big difference because of these things that if you should make really good use of that additional bandwidth, you need to have twice the power and twice uh, this and that. Uh, so I think it might or it probably will continue like that. But then economically, there's also these other issues that in lower bands, one base station will have a much larger range. So you will have to put up much fewer base stations. So 
in your budget, it might make good sense to pay a lot for the spectrum so that you don't need to put mm. up so many base stations. While a millimeter wave, you might don't want to put so much money into buying spectrum and getting that extra 50 megahertz or 100 megahertz uh, of spectrum because you know that you will have to spend so much money to put up a lot of base stations. Right, so there seems like to be overfishing on the lower frequencies, but uh, ample and enough for everyone at the at the millimeter wave bands, at least so far. Yeah, mm. it's great. All right, um, so I think it might be time for us to wrap up here. Um, I think we can just then... say something also about these base stations that are being deployed now when it comes to millimeter wave. Uh, so uh, Please do. I, I know that the, uh, what Verizon have been deploying is something that they call the, the Ericsson um, Street Macro. So these are sort of uh, vertical panels, uh, like sectorized antennas. They, uh, they are like half a meter times uh, two decimeters. And then the thickness is also uh, like... 12 mil, uh, centimeters or something like that and then they operate in 28 gigahertz band what goes into them are some phased arrays so they are not digital beam forming uh, but it's not entirely phased either they sort of have uh, like uh, each phased array have like um, 96 element and then you mm. could um, uh, no uh, they have half of that 48 elements and then mm. you can split it up uh, and form four different beams and uh, sort of each subarray uh, is uh, can steer the beam a little bit and mm. then uh, you can create two different beams per polarization and in that way you can serve up to four use at the same time and, and I think these mm. ones are also like uh, weighs 13 kilo they are developed in order to have mainly downlink traffic because that's what they are believing to be utilized and the output power might be just a hundred milliwatt up to half a, a watt and i think one reason for that is the short ranges and that you're close to the users but also that the power efficiency is very bad and so far in the power amplifier so you're burning a lot of energy into heat and therefore you need active cooling in these machines as well yeah. So how much do we burn? I mean, because 100 milliwatt output power sounds like almost nothing, right? So even if the efficiency is just like a single percent, say, then the total power consumption would not be more than a small light bulb. So how inefficient are these amplifiers? I don't have a good number on that, but I would guess it's mm. like 5-10% or something like that. Yeah, right. So, so power efficiency here is a main challenge, a major challenge in the design of, of these units and, and base stations, especially. Yeah, and it's an interesting mm. sort yeah. of trade-off here between uh, what is fundamentally possible in theory and what is practically possible. Because in a way, more bandwidth should be more energy efficient. Because if you want yeah. to send with a certain data rate, you need, uh, if you have more bandwidth, you don't need to uh, push as much power into every hertz uh, in order to get yeah. that bandwidth. But then it's still not very energy efficient so far because the hardware is so, uh, um, yeah, inefficient. So the hardware is the culprit here, really. It's not that we need so much more transmit power. At any rate, I suppose you couldn't use that much more transmit power because at some point, I mean, you, you don't want to radiate so much power, right? But the culprit is really that the hardware and especially these power amplifiers are so inefficient that most of the electrical power you feed into the base station ends up as, as heat mm. um, that has been my understanding yeah, yeah and, and this implementation with uh, like uh, four uh, 
uh, phased arrays or, or two that can control their different uh, uh, polarizations. This is what is commonly known as a hybrid beamforming method. Mm-hmm. It's not entirely analog as it would be with just one uh, phased array, but it's not digital because yeah. you cannot control all the elements either. So it's something in between, some kind of way of quickly building something uh, that will be enough to send four beams, but uh, not as advanced as uh, what mm-hmm. we usually call massive MIMO. Right, so it's quite interesting and quite amazing. I mean, so hybrid beamforming went also pretty fast. It was like, I think, like a handful of years ago. I mean, that was like an academic research topic, right? And now it is a mainstream product for 5G millimeter wave. So that's uh, fascinating to see how fast that journey can happen. Um, great. So I think with that, Emil, do you have anything else you'd like to say here on the millimeter wave topic? Uh, no, I think we have uh, covered all of the, the important yeah. things. Uh, if there's something you think that we are have not covered, then please uh, send us a comment that we might talk about it in future episodes or respond to it in the uh, question and answer path of YouTube yeah. channel, for example. As always, and uh, thanks a lot, Emil. It's fun to speak with you as always. And to our audience, thanks a lot for listening. Feel free to contact us with questions and don't forget to like and subscribe us on YouTube. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you.